Well, hello again, everybody. This is Greg Anderson on the Memoirs of a Movie Stand-In Podcast. This is episode number 43. Wow. 43 episodes of the Memoirs of a Movie Stand-In Podcast. And I'm talking about some behind-the-scenes stuff that happened while I was working as a stand-in, a career I had for several years, and, you know, who knows, I still might go back to it. Because I enjoy it. It's it's fun to be there behind the scenes on a show. And as a stand-in, you know, you can do your job really well or you can do your job poorly. It's not the kind of autopilot. You know, you really have to pay attention. And if you do pay attention, you'll learn an awful lot. And if you don't pay attention, they won't like you and you probably won't have that job for long anyway. I like to think I was one of the good stand-ins. But from my experience, I could tell there are a lot of bad stand-ins. Because sometimes when I was well, I'd first start on a show, people would treat me like an idiot. And I thought, they must work with some really bad stand-ins sometimes. <laughs> but, uh, but I usually got along really well with directors of photography and other guys on the camera crew and people on the crew in general. Because I was interested in what they were doing. And uh, I paid attention, and we had a good time. And I did my part in a way that was the most helpful to to the lighting and camera crew, which is kind of what uh, my job was all about, being helpful to those guys. So uh, I think I did well. And I had a lot of friends, and, you know, it's it's nice to stay in touch with people over the years. And Well, anyway, uh, I, I need to tell you about an episode of Promised Land, that I worked on in uh, the fall of 1997. We had gone to uh, St. George, Utah, Southern Utah, to work on the series. And um, so, yeah, we, we did three episodes there in the fall of 97. And the third of those episodes was called The Bookworm. And the big important social issue that we tackled in this episode was illiteracy. And so we had a young man, uh, an actor by the name of Trevor O'Brien, who played the part of a student in uh, Dinah's class, a class being taught temporarily by Claire Green. And the kid is uh, unable to read. And so we learn about his story and we figure out that, uh, you know, this is something that we, there is hope for those who have trouble uh, with illiteracy. I think the specific uh, thing that they sort of established, the reason this kid can't read is that he has dyslexia. And he really just hasn't had the proper um, proper attention that could be paid uh, to this problem because people with dyslexia can learn to read and, and be, uh, you know, good functional, literate people uh, if their teachers simply know what they're doing. So the episode begins with this young man uh, kind of faking his way through a school assignment. Uh, He's supposed to give a report about some current event, and he decides to do one about a Mars probe that had just recently landed on Mars. I think it was the Pathfinder uh, when, when that landed on Mars. The whole time, though, he's wearing his hooded sweatshirt, and we find out after he does a really good job on his uh, oral report that he was actually, he had pre-recorded the report, and he was listening to a Walkman with his headphones concealed under his, uh, 
under his hood of his sweatshirt, and that's how he made it look like he knew what he was doing. Uh, this is our first clue of many that uh, even though he has trouble reading, he's still a smart enough guy that he could fake his way through life. But, of course, Claire Green realizes that, well, you're not going to be able to fake your way through life forever. You really need to learn to read. But, uh, well, Claire, before she finds out that uh, this kid doesn't know how to read, he sees the kid kind of having a little confrontation with Dinah because Dinah knows that he sort of cheated on the oral report. And so they're kind of arguing about it when... uh, when Claire Green realizes uh, uh, that there's some tension between them and she decides to break that tension by assigning them to work together on their next oral report, which, of course, the two kids think that's a horrible idea, but they <laughs> they have to do it because, uh, you know, Claire Green is a, is a tough teacher and you just got to do it. Okay, so, uh, yeah, then, you know, the other little subplot here is that Nathaniel is enrolled in this school and Nathaniel has never been in a regular school before, I guess. And so, uh, they're a little concerned in Claire and Russell as to how well he's, is he going to do in a, in a regular school environment? He's just kind of been homeschooled the last year and a half. And before that, he really didn't have any school at all to speak of when he was on the run with his dad, uh, the ne'er-do-well Joe Green. And so uh, Nathaniel is actually enthusiastic about school. And he and whenever the teacher as, asks a question, Nathaniel's the first to raise his hand and answer the question. And, um, and to the annoyance of some of the other kids, it's always Nathaniel answering the question. And, and every time he answers a question, he, he makes some reference to something he learned from his Uncle Russell. You know, what do you know about geography? Oh, I know, I know. Those rocks are, you know, full of iron. And my Uncle Russell told me blah, blah, blah. And so the kids, the other kids in class are instantly annoyed by young Nathaniel and his legendary Superman Uncle Russell that he can't stop talking about. Uh, But, you know, anyway, Nathaniel's class, they've got a sort of a class camp out that they're planning to go on. And this leads to some hazing incidents when the other kids, uh, <laughs> you know, they, they, they sort of duct tape Nathaniel into his uh, sleeping bag and, and other things uh, just to uh, annoy him because they're so annoyed at his know-it-all. He's, he's kind of a know-it-all, and uh, he's a know-it-all because of his Uncle Russell, and he can't stop talking about his Uncle Russell and Motormouth Nathaniel and Nathaniel. Anyway, uh, but anyway, uh, Claire starts to get to the bottom of this uh, illiterate boy, and what she discovers is that not only can he not read, his father also has the same problem. So this is now a generational illiteracy problem, and the boy's father gets by, he's a plumber, so, you know, he's able to think like about, about, about practical stuff as a plumber and, and he, he does okay but it, when it comes to uh, the business end of his plumber business uh, he relies on his wife to take care of the books and do things that require reading um, and so Claire makes the comment that uh, she Claire talks to the wife 
and says, uh, you know, your your boy is a, a very clever, but uh, what if he doesn't end up with a with a good woman like you? We really need to get him the help he needs to learn to read. Whereas the father of this illiterate boy just sees it as a, a very embarrassing thing, and he wants to pull the kid out of school and uh, and not have to deal with the uh, the illiteracy problem. So. Um, it all works out eventually when, uh, Claire, uh, through some perseverance, you know, really takes a, an interest in this boy and helping him out. The boy has a confrontation with his father because the boy thinks he wants to be a scientist or an astronaut. And the father says, no, no, you're, you're going to be a plumber like me. And the boy doesn't like that. And, and, and it all culminates with a, a confrontation with, because the boy wanted to go see a meteor shower and uh, the father says, no, you can't go. We're, we're busy tonight. We're, we're doing some plumbing work tonight. And the boy says, but uh, no, I got to go tonight. If I don't go tonight, uh, you know, the, 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 there won't be another meteor shower. This one doesn't come around until next year. And the guy says, well, then you'll watch it next year. And the kid gets upset and he runs away and he goes to where the greens are at, the, at a campground. And he goes and talks to Claire Green and uh, she kind of consoles him and then the father shows up and, and they have a good discussion and, uh, and decide that, you know, they can handle this problem. And, and, uh, and, and so the episode ends with Claire, uh, doing some special tutoring for this boy at the end of the school day. And the boy's father actually shows up because he would like to be tutored as well. So it's a very heartwarming and Claire actually needs a moment she she kind of uh, walks off to the side and sort of holds back a, a tear uh, before she sits down to teach the father and son how to read. And so that's a very heartwarming end to the story. And that's uh, that's it. And then I think they actually do uh, throw a little public service announcement at the end of this episode as well. And this time they got Russell Green, or actually Gerald McRaney, to do the public service announcement at the end of the episode for the uh, reading is fundamental program, which is it's uh, it, it riff. I remember hearing about riff reading is fundamental back in the 1970s. And then for years, never heard a thing about it, but it's still out there, or at least it still was in 1997 when uh, Gerald McCraney uh, recorded a public service announcement for the reading is fundamental uh thing as a tie into this episode about uh, illiteracy. So anyway, there's uh that's the basic plot of this particular story. Now, I mentioned that the young man who played the role of the uh classmate who was illiterate was played by a a, a young actor uh, named uh Trevor O'Brien played this role. Now, Trevor O'Brien is, in fact, the brother, the younger brother of Austin O'Brien, who played the part of Josh on our show. So they're both actors, and they have an older sister who is also into acting. And so, of course, uh, you know, this is a great opportunity for Trevor to to play a, a role on the show and, you know, be featured prominently in an episode and, and, and really show uh, his skills as an actor. And he's a great little actor. The thing is, though, um, because Trevor and Austin were both uh, minors, uh, you know, under age 18, 
their their mother or some guardian had to be on set with them and accompany them when when they worked. And so I remember uh, Trevor's mom, Austin's mom, you know, their mom, uh, <laughs> while they were making this episode, she said, uh, she we were just, you know, shooting the breeze. And she said, you know, I, I, I wish we hadn't gotten Trevor into this episode. Said, really? What's wrong? She said, because, uh, Austin only had like two scenes in the episode. He was barely in it. He was only going to work for a couple of days. And then they could have taken the whole rest of the week off and gone home to California for the whole week. But because Trevor was in the episode and was featured and worked like every day in the episode, uh, they, you know, they had to stay and they couldn't go home to California. So she's like, oh, I, you know, I, I wish I would have thought this through before we did this. I would, I would much rather have gone home to California for the week. But anyway, I, it worked out okay, of course. And, uh, Trevor did a great job and, uh, and I think he won some kind of award for, for at, a, at a young actors uh, award ceremony thing that happens in Hollywood. Um, so that was that was interesting to me. Anyway, um, uh, other than that, see, we were filming uh, in and around a school in St. George um, for this one, and I think there was some sort of school holiday that allowed us to film there on a day when regular classes were not in session. So that was, that was nice that when we were able to, you know, hired a bunch of the kids from the school to, to work as extras on the show, but we weren't terribly disruptive to the actual operations of the school because we were able to film on a day when, uh, you know, they didn't have regular classes that day. It was either uh, some sort of holiday or a teacher work day or something was going on. So, you know, that was nice. Um, a lot of stuff happened in, uh, in the school, uh, other scenes really took place in, uh, the, the house of the, uh, the, 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 the illiterate kid. Uh, so we, we found a house in St. George for doing that. And then, um, just a campground, you know, there wasn't a lot of other places, uh, in this episode, some outdoor work when, uh, when, 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 uh, Nathaniel is on his camp out. But, uh, other than that, yeah, uh, not much to it from a behind the scenes standpoint, just a very straightforward, uh, episode. <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny. We went down to St. George to do these three episodes and the first one, we took advantage of some of the scenery. And of course, the fact that we were close enough to Nevada to go film in a casino. So that made sense that, okay, we're, we're, we're here in St. George and we're taking advantage of the fact that we're in St. George. The next episode we did about the infertile sister, there was really nothing unique about that episode that made it especially nice that we were filming in St. George. Um, and then this episode, then the bookworm episode, uh, they did use some of the Red Rock scenery and the Southern Utah painted desert kind of scenery and incorporated that into the episode. Um, yeah, but, you know, it's it's kind of like uh, we, we, the, the first time we went to St. George, 
during the first season. It was the same way. The first episode, we took advantage of the scenery. The the third episode, we took advantage of the scenery. But the one in the middle, we could have shot that anywhere. And in fact, St. George was not a very good place to shoot the episode because of the storyline really lent itself to somewhere else. So the same thing with the, the second time we went to St. George. First episode took advantage of the location pretty well. Last episode, we did a reasonable job, but that one in the middle, yeah, <laughs> we could have shot that anywhere. Now, we were in St. George um, for for a couple of reasons. First of all, the fact that we had done it before, so we had proven that it was, it was doable and uh, within budget and time constraints and all that, we could, we could do this. The other thing is they were hoping during the second season that maybe during the second half of the second season, we could go film someplace else, completely outside of Utah. And uh, the rumblings were that the plans were uh, we would go to eastern Texas because Gerald McRaney had this idea for doing an episode about uh, a church burning incident in the South. And he wanted to go to the South, the real South. And if he couldn't go to like, you know, Mississippi or Louisiana or somewhere, um, we could maybe go to Eastern Texas. And that still looks enough like the deep South that that would be a good place to do this episode about the church burning thing. So, they they had hoped then, again, first half of second season, we go to St. George, and second half of the second season, we'd go out to eastern Texas and do something there. Well, that didn't quite work out as planned. So uh, I felt like we, we, we were, they squeezed this uh, St. George thing into the fall of 1997 in a kind of a haphazard way, Again, stories that weren't really well suited for being off on location like that. Um, but it was all because we were going to go somewhere better later. And then we didn't end up going to that second place uh, later, at least not during the second season. So, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's just things. It's okay. It's okay. But when we were all done with this episode, The Bookworm... It was right before Thanksgiving, and uh, I uh, I remember just getting in the car and driving home. It was like a five or six hour drive home from St. George, and I was alone in my car. And you know, it's a pleasant enough drive. Uh, actually, I, I enjoyed driving long trips like that, but not necessarily alone. But I remember getting home, and by the time I got home, other people around home and other family members and stuff were like, oh, you're back? Like they weren't expecting me back, or they just didn't know <laughs> when, I, when I was coming home. It was just weird. You know, and that whole time I was in St. George, the uh, fall of 1997, we were there for about four and a half weeks. We were there over Halloween, you know, so um, I'm, I'm not real big on Halloween, you know, but uh, nobody came trick-or-treating to my motel room. <laughs> we had a few people on the crew that put, like, Halloween decorations on their on the doors of their motel rooms. But, yeah, Halloween, we were in a motel. And that I've never done that before. That's kind of a strange experience. Um, 
and then um, I, you know, I, I, whenever I needed to go out to location in the morning to show up to work, they would send a van to the motel and, and it would pick up crew members at the designated time. So I just knew that, you know, this is the time I go down to the lobby and meet the van and go off to work. And, and so I actually had parked my car in the motel uh, parking lot and put a cover over my car and I just let it sit there for for a good solid four weeks. I didn't start the engine of my car. And if I had to go anywhere in St. George, I just walked. Um, and so that was kind of, in a way that was fun, but also kind of depressing. Like, what am I doing? You know, just... <laughs> I, I pretended like I didn't even have a car for four weeks. I just, I don't know. Strange. And, you know, uh, that's, that's the only time, uh, apart from the, we went on a little trip during the third season, but, uh, other than that, my car gets used a lot. And for my car to sit and not even start the engine for four solid weeks, that's really weird. That like never happens, but, <laughs> but I remember that one. And then, and then when, when, when I did start the car, it was our final weekend down there and I decided to go to Zion Canyon and I went, they have a big IMAX theater there and I watched a movie and some of the other guys were going to like Las Vegas on the weekends and stuff, but I, I don't want to do that. Anyway, you didn't need to know that, but, uh, it's <laughs> just thoughts that come to mind as I think of the bookworm episode or as I call it. The illiteracy episode of Promised Land from 1997. All right. Well, I'm going to come up with another podcast for next week on the Memoirs of a Movie Stand-In podcast, or another episode, at least, of the podcast. So look for that one Thursday night at 8, 7 Central Time, and we'll talk about our return from St. George, uh... Well, St. George has pretty good weather, you know, compared to Salt Lake City. It's a lot warmer down there. Um, they do get a, it gets a little cold. It gets a little bit of snow, but, you know, not nearly as much as Salt Lake City. So it was only fitting that uh, the very next episode back in the Salt Lake City area, a major snowstorm on a day when we needed to get to work. But I'll tell you about that next time on the Memoirs of a Movie Stand-In Podcast. Now, look for my official show notes of this podcast at uh, this particular blog. Okay? It's uh, utahstandin.blogspot.com. Okay? utahstandin.blogspot.com. And uh, if you want to send me any email, uh, go ahead. It's, uh, let's see, moviestandin at gmail.com. Yeah moviestandin at gmail.com and I'll receive that and you know we'll we'll have a good interactive time in a global setting a worldwide audience you realize people from anywhere in the world could be listening to this podcast if they wanted to if they wanted to why don't you tell your friends yeah go ahead and tell them anyway I'll see you next time on the memoirs of a movie stand-in podcast <laughs>